Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. How easy do you find it to forgive others? How easy do you find it to forgive people who have wronged you or done something against you? Just a stupid example. Jess isn't here, so I can, I can say what I want. Um, how easy do I find it to forgive Jess when she leaves my coffee machine in a mess in the morning? It's hard work, I can tell you. Mark will know. It's hard work. But how easy do you find it to forgive others who have wronged you? And like when someone has done something and has wronged you, what actually makes it easier for you to forgive them? So how easy do you find it to forgive? And actually, what can that other person do that makes it easier to forgive them? So with that in mind, uh, we're going to jump straight back into our story in Joseph. And this week we are going through Genesis chapters 42 to 45. And no, don't worry, I'm not going to stand here at the front and read out all three chapters, although that... That would fill a lot of time, to be fair. It would fill a lot of time. Um, But anyway, just like in a TV show, we are going to go previously in Joseph. So Tim, last week, um, was preaching on Joseph, surprisingly enough. And last week that we saw that Joseph's gifts of being able to interpret dreams leads him all the way to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And upon interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, about seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine... He is elevated to this position of power where he's basically second only to the pharaoh and he oversees this food storage program which through those seven years of plenty he stores all this food up so that actually Egypt will still prosper during this seven years of famine and there will be enough food for them all to survive. So as we jump back in um, at Genesis 42, people from all the surrounding nations of Egypt are coming specifically to Joseph because of his role in this food storage program, and to buy food so the families could get the food they needed to survive this famine. And this is where we get the real plot twist in the story. Among those coming to buy food from Joseph are his brothers. Those same 12 brothers that sold him into slavery in the first place. So they are coming to Egypt to see Joseph to try and buy food so that their families and their land can survive this famine. How will Joseph react? Will he turn his brothers away in anger? Is he going to be able to forgive them? Will he seek revenge? You know, revenge can be sweet sometimes for what they did. And that's what we're going to look at over hopefully the next few minutes. So if we jump in at verse 6, we see the exact moment where Joseph and his brothers meet for the first time in almost 20 years. So verse 6 says this. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him, we'll come back to that in a second, with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. So here we have Joseph meeting his brothers for the first time since he sold them into slavery. And although Joseph recognises his brothers, 
They don't know. They don't actually recognize him. Now, I know it's been 20 years, and Joseph might have had a new haircut, some new clothes, but surely one of them would have that little spark of recognition. And I mean, I've got a photo up here on the screen, and that's me a little bit longer than 20 years ago, and there's someone else in the picture in the room. <laughs> you decide what you want to do with that information. And that's a little bit longer than 20 years ago, but I would like to think you can still tell that's me. The other person, I'm not sure if you'll still be able to recognise, but they are in the room. There's a big clue. But I, I think you could still recognise that that's me, still as handsome as ever. <laughs> but they don't recognise him. They have no recognition of their brother. And maybe that's just that they never, ever thought that this could possibly be Joseph. He couldn't have possibly gone from being slow, sold into slavery to being in this position of power. But he, so even if there was that glimmer of recognition, maybe just, you know, his position, his new haircut his fancy new Egyptian threads. Um, maybe there was just, they just couldn't possibly believe that could even be Joseph. But, as I said, Joseph recognised them. So what is he going to do about it? Now, we also have a flashback moment here. Um, and actually, someone was chatting at work the other day. Did anyone see that That's So Raven? Or anything like that? She has like the little, anyway, she does little flashbacks in her head. Um, but we're going to have a flashback. So he's flashing back to the moment um, where he had this dream. And actually, this was the start of where all the brothers became jealous and the fact that he was the favourite in this dream and he shared it with them, perhaps, un- perhaps unwisely. Um, but this is the dream that kind of started this journey along the way. And it's found in jo- uh, Genesis 37. It says this. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. And maybe you'll recognise it. We were binding uh, sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what they had said. So if we're back in our story today, what has just happened right at the very start when they've met Joseph? They've They've bowed down to him with their faces to the floor. So here's where the dream that Joseph has had all those years ago has actually become reality. It was a dream from God, and Joseph recognised that this this is his dream being fulfilled. So Joseph has recognised them and understood that this is the fulfilment of his dream. But what? still, we haven't actually got to what his reaction is. But, well, we see here that Joseph doesn't actually reveal his identity. He's seen that his brothers haven't recognised him, He pretends to be a stranger, is what we read, and he continues to speak in a different language and through an interpreter. And rather than immediately seeking to take revenge in this moment, he could have immediately revealed his identity, had his brothers imprisoned, he had that level of power, or even had them put to death, or had them as his own slaves. That's not what he does. He doesn't immediately go and seek revenge. Um, He actually, um, he wanted to see if they were still the same men that he sold them. He wants to put them to the test. They, these are his own brothers, and they'd, 20 years ago, sold them into slavery, and he wanted to see if they'd still do the same thing again. So he accuses of them being spies from Canaan and coming to Egypt to scout out the lands and assess any vulnerabilities. Maybe they were coming to steal the grain rather than buy it and, and, and things like that. But in order to try and protest their innocence, they share family details. And, of course, Joseph will likely know a lot about this family, um, as 
they are his brothers. Um, and Joseph grills him on this. Maybe in part this was just about to try and hear more about his family again, see, what, see what's happening, hear about his father and his brothers and things like that. And it's at this moment that they mention their younger brother. And it's actually Joseph's um, only true brother who had been left behind um, with their father. Now, the role of the youngest brother, who's called Benjamin, is critical in this story um, because he's actually Joseph's only um, full brother. Um, So he's uh, Rachel's son, and actually we'll read that Benjamin has now become the favourite. And Joseph actually insists that they bring Benjamin to him as proof of their story that they're not spies, to prove that their story that they've just come to buy grain um, is actually true. And Benjamin, who was the youngest brother, was actually only a boy when Joseph was sold into slavery um, and was not part of the actions of his brothers originally. And as I mentioned, as the only remaining son of Rachel, Benjamin is now Jacob's new favourite. And we'll go on to see that he's particularly protective of him. Now here we see previously that Joseph has had that experience of being the favourite. Joseph was Jacob's favourite previously. He had his snazzy coat. um, And the jealousy of the brothers had come from that. And I'm sure he could imagine a situation where all of that resentment and jealousy that the brothers had had for him has now been transferred straight to Benjamin. So this is why he's going to ask the brothers to prove themselves and to prove their story and to bring Benjamin to Egypt. But in order to give him a little bit of time to discuss and think about this, he, he just puts them in jail. Um, so they have a bit of time um, to discuss the de- the de- his demands and to decide whether they are going to bring Benjamin back to Joseph. And after a few days in prison, Joseph comes back to them with a choice again. He offers to free them all but one who will stay in prison until they return with Benjamin. So all the brothers can go, they can buy the grain, they can go back to uh, Canaan, but one must stay until they come back with Benjamin to prove their story. And his brothers um, discuss the offer and not realising that Joseph can actually understand them um, and their language as they speak. And And it's in this moment we read that Joseph is able to first see whether his brothers are changed men. So in verse 21 it says this, They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when they pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then came back and spoke to them again, and he had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So here's the first moment. So he's put his brothers to the test, and here's the first moment where Joseph actually sees that his brothers have had changed hearts. He sees the guilt and the remorse that the brothers feel for their actions, where they sold them into slavery. They acknowledge their guilt in the situation, and even felt as if they are now paying for those actions that had happened all those years ago. They were paying for the fact that they'd sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph even learnt that one of his brothers, Reuben, had actually fought for him, arguing against the plan to sell him into slavery. And Joseph was so moved by the way they were speaking to each other about the incident, it demonstrated that their hearts had been changed as they show the remorse and guilt in the situation and acknowledging that their actions was wrong. We read actually he was so moved that it actually brought him to tears. 
Now, the brothers might not have had this attitude. They might have actually tried to rationalize it with themselves, saying that actually what all they'd done all those years ago was for the best. Joseph was a favorite. He was a pain. They weren't kind of getting the um, attention or the love they deserved because Joseph was there. Lying to themselves or actually being angry about the situation and saying, well, actually, it's nothing to do with us that we sold them as slavery. Actually, it's Jacob's fault. If Jacob hadn't made Joseph the favorite in the first place, we would never have sold them into slavery anyway. So it's, not, it's nothing to do with us. It was Jacob. And this just kind of emotionally detaches themselves from the situation. They're rationalizing it. They're transferring their anger onto the, and others and just kind of trying to rationalize that this was the best course of action without actually taking any responsibility for the situation. So rather than feeling remorseful, they could have actually just been rationalizing their actions. And actually, I think if we reflect ourselves, um, if we ever found ourselves in a situation like this, maybe not necessarily having been sold into slavery, but when someone is, when we've wronged someone, actually, a lot of the time, if we're ever being called out, um, and for myself included, I think actually our initial response when being shown that we're being sinful, whether it be through a situation or someone like Jess or a, fr- a friend for me that highlighting it and maybe calling me out, actually, I think I can fight quite often find myself rationalising why I did it, rather than just kind of accepting responsibility for the situation and feel remorseful about the fact that I've done it. Actually, I try and rationalise with myself why I did it. Oh, well, this person did this, so that's, that's why I did it. Oh, well, actually, I'm going to project my anger and frustration because if, if James hadn't done that thing, then I wouldn't have done that thing, and then it wouldn't have happened in the first place. So actually, it's nothing to do with me. It's because it's James did, did that first. And often I think we find ourselves kind of in that situation rather than just bringing it to God and being remorseful or guilt, feeling that sense of guilt about the situation, actually we find ourselves rationalising or just flat out denying the reality of the situation. But actually just like Joseph is in, in um, this story, or Joseph and his brothers um, in this story, God wants us to come to him with remorseful and sorrowful hearts just like his brothers have come to Joseph now. Sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes, actually, when we've sinned or wronged people, we can't actually fix it. There's nothing to do that we could fix that exact situation um, or put it right or anything like that. But all we can do, just like the brothers, is just change our hearts. God, in these situations, God is looking for us to draw close to him with a sorrowful heart and just renounce that sin. That's, that's what we can do. Sometimes it's not about fixing it, it's just about drawing into God and feeling remorseful for that. If we read in 1 John um, 1, verse 8, it says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Now, if we go back into Joseph and his brothers, so having shown this remorse and guilt for selling Joseph, they've passed his first test. They've shown that they feel bad, I guess, about what they've done previously. Um, So in keeping with his promise that he made to the brothers, um, he keeps one of them, Simeon, sorry, Tim, um, and sends the rest back to Canaan with his word that upon their return with their younger brother Benjamin, 
he will release Simeon as it will prove that they aren't actually spies. He also sends them back to Canaan with full sacks of grain in order that the family will survive through the famine. But as we read on, we'll see that the brothers return home to their father, Jacob, and he can't believe what's happened. First, he lost his son, Jacob, all those years ago, and now he's lost Simeon. And in order to get Simeon back from the governor in Egypt, who's Joseph, um, he has to risk his youngest and most favoured son, sending on a potentially dangerous journey and at the mercy of this governor of Egypt. And initially, he doesn't want to send Benjamin to Egypt. He's kind of, I guess, willing to let... Sorry, Sam. He's willing to let Sam rot in jail. Um, Because, as I say, Benjamin's his favourite. He doesn't want to risk sending him to Egypt. The journey might be dangerous... But also, actually, if he sends him to Egypt, he is at the mercy of the governor of Egypt. We have no, he's never met the guy. It's just, it's just on one man's word that he's going to put one son at risk for another, essentially. But the famine continued to tear through the nations around, Canaan, around Egypt and across Canaan. And eventually the brothers have to return to Egypt in order that, that actually the whole family might survive the famine. And he still didn't want to send Benjamin back. It took some pretty serious promises from the brothers in order that Jacob would allow them to take them. And actually some, yeah, really serious promises. I mean, this, I think it just highlights how much uh, Jacob actually favoured Benjamin. But in chapter 42, verse 37, we read one of the promises. It says this. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if if I do not bring him back to you. So bring Benjamin back to you. Entrust him in my care, and I will bring him back. Yet still, even when Reuben has actually said that basically he's putting his son's life up against Benjamin's, Jacob could still not be persuaded. So the second promise comes in chapter 43, and it's verses 8 to 9. And this time it comes from Judah. So Judah said to uh, Israel, or Jacob, his father, send the boy along with me, and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you for all my life. And as I say, I think the verses just highlight a couple of things. Firstly, it does, again, I think, reconfirm that the brothers seem to have changed their hearts from those, all those years ago when they were jealous of Jacob. They're willing to sacrifice either themselves or their closest family members, being their Reuben's sons, um, in order to get Benjamin to Egypt, in order that they might get some more grain just to help everyone in the family um, eat and survive this famine. And as I mentioned, the fact that they actually took these kind of promises, this level of promise where people are essentially putting their lives against others or potentially sacrificing their life for others, um, took those kind of promises even to kind of remotely persuade Jacob to let them head back to Egypt. Again, it just highlights that Benjamin really truly is now the favourite. But as we, as we kind of, he does let them go, he lets them go. So all the brothers head back on um, to Egypt, this time with Benjamin um, in tow. Um, and when they arrive um, back in Egypt, they still don't recognise Joseph. Maybe he's got another new haircut and another new jacket because he's a big man in Egypt now. Um, 
actually, when Joseph sees that they've come with um, Benjamin, he invites them into his home. So he invites them into his house. He lets them wash after the long journey. I don't know if this is the treatment that he gave everyone. I'm going to assume not. Um, He provides water for their animals that they brought along the journey and actually prepares a big feast for them. And it was during this feast that Joseph started the second test for us brothers to see if they truly changed. And during the feast, um, he feeds his brothers, um, but he pays special attention to his brother Benjamin. So this is the youngest and Joseph's only... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? Full. Full. Thank you. Full brother. Um, And he actually... We read that he gave Benjamin five times as much food as his brothers. Now, I don't know about you and if you have any brothers or sisters, but I'm sure if uh, my mum started giving me five times as much food as my sister and brother, I'm sure they would have something to say about that. Um, And this might have been part of the test again. Maybe this is Joseph testing his brothers again to see how they react and see if this made any of his brothers jealous jealous again because they already know that Jacob favours Benjamin. So he wants to see if just as they were jealous of him, are they still as jealous of Benjamin? And we actually read about the the next part of Joseph's test in verses uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his um, sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, so that's, that's Benjamin, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph says. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys, and they had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup, isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? Or uh, this, is what, this is the cup that Joseph uses um, when he's interpreting dreams. This is a wicked thing that you have done. So here we have um, Joseph's putting the brothers' remorseful and repentant hearts to the test. He's put this silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And actually we read um, that he's actually going to give them the opportunity to give up Benjamin completely. As it was suggested that whoever had stole this cup would be either going to slavery or put to death, but the others would go away free. It was only the man that had stolen the cup that would be brought back to Egypt, I guess, for trial or judgment. So actually, he's given his brothers the opportunity to abandon Benjamin into slavery or death in Egypt, but they would completely get away scot-free. They would go home, they'd probably go home back home with the money, they'd go home with all the grain, so actually... In the bigger picture, their families would survive. Yes, Jacob might not be particularly happy about this, but actually they would, they would all survive. And they would get away scot-free, essentially. Everything would be fine for them. It would only be Benjamin that suffered. And can we remember a time where the brothers were in a similar situation 20 years ago? These are the very same brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. And I think if this was then... So if if this situation had happened then, I'm pretty sure they would have jumped at this chance to sacrifice Benjamin, the favourite son, and get away with their lives. But it's here that actually we see the true extent of the brothers' remorse and repentance for their previous actions. When Joseph Stewart uh, catches up with them and finds the cup in Benjamin's sack, 
they're all in despair. Rather than just sacrificing Benjamin, they all return to Egypt to plead their innocence to Joseph. And we're going to jump right back into the verses where Judah is pleading with Joseph. So Judah's actually the guy that promised to give, essentially give his life for Benjamin's. Um, where, ben, where Judah is explaining um, that Benjamin is his father's favourite and how reluctant he was for even Benjamin to come to Egypt. And how he told them that if any harm came to Benjamin, the grief would kill him after already losing his son Joseph. So yeah, in verses 30 to 34, this is Judah pleading for Benjamin's life. And he says this. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your, your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the grey head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. So this is Judah saying that he guaranteed um, the boy's safety to his father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come on my father. So again, here is where we see the true extent of Judah's repentance. Not only did he feel remorse for his actions in selling uh, Joseph into slavery, but when faced with a similar situation again in that he was able to, I guess, get rid or sacrifice someone else for him, for himself, um, his actions were completely different. He knows that Benjamin is, is his father's favourite, but rather than being jealous about that and deciding that actually his life would be far better if Benjamin wasn't there and getting rid of that problem, he actually offers himself up in place of Benjamin, offering to be Joseph's slaves in Benjamin's place. His true repentance has actually transformed him. Not only is he remorseful, but actually his actions reflect the fact that he feels guilty and he has been transformed. And actually, when we repent and turn to God in these situations, that's what he can do in our lives. When we truly repent, it can be deeply, deeply transformative. And it can turn, and it turns us into people who, when faced with similar situations in our lives, when previously we would have either just um, rationalised our sin or we would have just kind of ignored it completely. Um, it actually turns us into people with, when facing similar situations that may cause us to sin again, actually we respond in a way that honours God. When we draw close to God and share with him where we struggle and fall down, and we want to actively repent, he can transform us. And I know personally that there are many times in uh, my life where I've acted in a manner that I'm perhaps not proud of, um, and I've, it, it's not always immediate. It does sometimes take a little bit of time to decide that you want to draw in close to God. But when I've drawn in close to God and I've gone to God with a repentant heart, he has transformed me and I don't act the same in similar situations. Because doesn't, God doesn't promise to never put us in situations again where we, won't, where we, like we would sin. And he doesn't promise that, but he does promise to forgive us and help transform us so that actually when we're in those situations again, we'll act in a way that honours him. And that's just what has happened to Judah here. 
So what is Judah's response to all this? What is, what is Joseph's response to Judah and his brother's plea? Remember, these are still the same brothers that sold him into slavery. It's not like anything in terms of that. The facts of the story still haven't changed. Yes, they might be changed men. Yet they might have their changed hearts. But they still did sell him into slavery. But Joseph's response to his brother's plea is actually forgiveness. We read that having seen a genuine change in his brothers, he couldn't carry on hiding his identity. He reveals himself to his brothers and actually explains what God has done. And his brothers, I'm not going to read the verses, but like they are very shocked, let's just say. <laughs> they are very shocked that this is Joseph. Uh, they hadn't recognised him with his new haircut and new clothes 20 years on, but they are very shocked that this is Joseph. But we're just going to jump in here. Uh, I think it is verse 4. So, then Joseph said to his brothers, he's just revealed himself, um, he's revealing himself to them, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all of you and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. We see here that actually, despite that, all that they've done, Joseph still forgives them. Joseph sees that God has been at work through the situation and through his life, and it's actually God that has placed him in the situation and placed him actually as essentially the, um, in charge of all of Egypt. But not only does he forgive them, he actually wants to reconcile and rebuild the relationship. He doesn't forgive them and say, all right, on your merry way, here's some sacks of grain. You go on back to Canaan, I forgive you, but and there's, still, there's still a little bit of tension there, given that you did sell me into slavery. Um, yes, I've done well out of this, but you did still sell me into slavery. No, he forgives them and he wants to rebuild that relationship. He wants to rebuild the relationships with his family. He doesn't hold on to that sin. He doesn't hold on to the fact that they sold him into slavery, which I'm sure he can do, and I'm sure um, a lot of us here do all the time. But he forgave them and invited them to live with him in Egypt in order that relationship could be rebuilt. So I'm just going to ask you the first question again that I asked you this morning. How easy do you find it to forgive people? I think Joseph here has shown real, like real true um, forgiveness. These are the, again, these are the brothers that sold him into slavery. And yet he still found it in his heart to forgive them. And actually, I think forgiveness is absolutely central. And it's at the real heart of what it means to be a Christian. 
Without the forgiveness of all of our sins through Christ, we couldn't have a relationship with him. That's not something that we necessarily deserve or have earned or anything like that. He forgives us regardless. And just as Joseph forgives his brothers when he sees that they're remorseful and repent for their sin and repent, that's what Jesus does for us. We're able to have a relationship with him despite the fact that we sin. And we're able to have a relationship with him because he forgives us through the cross. He extended his grace to us before we even kind of knew or decided to repent. He extends his grace anyway and just asks us to come to him draw and, cl- and draw close to him. And he wants to build and reconcile that relationship with us, just as Joseph has done with his brothers this morning. So I guess my question um, this morning is, are there areas in your life, I know there certainly is in mine, that actually are getting in the way of you building that relationship with Jesus? Because he wants, he wants you to bring them to him. It doesn't, because sometimes we can feel like when we've had sin, we almost want to hide away from God because we're ashamed or embarrassed about it. But draw close to him with a remorseful heart and he can transform our lives. And in light of that forgiveness that Jesus extended to us, we ourselves are actually called to be like Joseph and Jesus. It's not just that we receive Jesus' forgiveness and kind of that's it, we're transformed and that's all well and good but we are actually called to extend that same forgiveness to others. Where relationships have broken down, people have wronged us, we are called to reach out with grace and forgiveness and seek reconciliation. And I know that's not hard, that, that's not easy sometimes, um, but that is something that we're called to do. We are called to extend that, the same level of forgiveness that Jesus extended to us to others and seek re- re- reconciliation in our relationships. There's just a verse on this, and in Ephesians chapter 4, was actually titled Instructions for Christian Living. And it says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we are called to be kind and compassionate and forgive others just as God has forgiven us. And I'm, just as I finish, um, I'll invite the band up I just want to put those two questions up again this morning. But just as we go into a time of worship, maybe these are just the two questions. If you get nothing else out of this morning, just two questions that you can think about this morning. Where are our areas in our life that we need to give over to God um, and repent, I guess, and seek um, God in that and build our relationship with God in that? And are are there any relationships in our lives at the minute where we should be extending forgiveness and seeking reconciliation.